Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're in the Santa Monica studios, and I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Into the U.S. Open, day four is underway, and there's so much to talk about on this show. First up, I speak with one of the more prominent and active voices online. It's tennis journalist Krina Mustafa. She has a lot to say about the first three days of the U.S. Open, the upsets we've seen on the men's side, Runa, Felix, Rude, all knocked out. We break down the levels of Djokovic and Alcaraz early. And on the women's side, the resurgent moms, Caroline Wozniacki, Taylor Townsend winning. The collision course, presumably, between Iga and Coco. And who else we like to make some noise at the U.S. Open? And then American double standout, Austin Krychek joins the show. His U.S. Open begins today with partner Ivan Dodich. They won the Roland Garros Championship this year. Krychek got to number one in the world for a couple weeks. He's looking to regain the top spot, which he can do with a great run in New York. Krychek breaks down his tennis career, focusing on doubles, his memories at Texas A&M where he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and what he looks forward to this U.S. Open and beyond. It's Karina Mustafa and Austin Krychek on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, about to start day four of the U.S. Open. Uh, it's been a whirlwind, the 2023 edition. Joining now on the show, first time guest, excited to have her. You can see her on Twitter, growing the game, giving a lot of insightful and informative takes. She covers other sports as well, has a WNBA podcast that just started. Karina Mustafa, welcome to the show. Coming from us from the States, I know you're Canadian, so but you are in America. Mm -hmm. It's a special occasion. Thank you for joining the show. <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing is when you guys found out on the last pod that I was Canadian. But yes, I am in the States for the U.S. Open, which is nice because I get to use my boyfriend's ESPN Plus uh, yeah. feeds for, to watch all the tennis matches so it worked out in my favor yeah i guess there's pros and cons right nothing annoys me more in any sport when i try to find highlights on like twitter and it says blocked in your region i know <laughs> i don't know what it's oh, like for I your thing yeah. yeah yeah grand slams yeah a, a lot of tournaments are pretty bad with the highlights so i try to i try to time my visits in the states around the grand slams just so yeah. i can get the it, best coverage it's smart it's smart uh four times a year that we have to pay attention to and this being a, a very interesting u.s open we're going to do some initial reactions to some thoughts some drama a lot of upsets specifically on the men's side which we haven't seen but there is the the unfortunate of it unfortunately it seems like there's a little bit of a bug going around the u.s open we've had some pullouts we've had some players either have to withdraw mid-match or just sluggishly, you know, in you, Chris Eubanks' case, not able to play at his best form. This uh, is a, an unfortunate thing. It's also something, Karina, that has happened in the past where you just have to battle through it and do your best. And I think that's where tennis being an individual sport might help you. It's not golf. It's not a team sport. You just have to get by one opponent that day and then try to rest and recover. Unfortunate, but we'll see who can who can make it. 
Yeah, I mean, you see, like, even Anja Bor, she was battling through the flu, she said that she had, and she was still able to get through her match, luckily for her. But it's it's really difficult to watch when these players are clearly going through something. I mean, even Dominic Team, I know we all wanted to see him go against Ben Shelton and to see him have to retire, too. It's just, it really sucks, honestly, um, especially for a lot of players who are either on a comeback or they're trying to make it far after having some success, like you mentioned, Eubanks. Um, but, you know, the players that are still in hopefully will try to take advantage of that and try to stay as healthy as they possibly yeah. can. Yeah, and there's admirable things like team fighting that first set and, you know, doing all he could, Eubanks especially, having to take the bathroom break, was willing to concede a game, you know, eventually pretty much did and, you know, fought. And it was, you know, there, there are opportunities there, but, you know, you want to see the best players play their best tennis. Well, there's a lot to discuss. We'll start with kind of the straightforwardness of it. So far, so good for the top seeds on Djokovic, Alcaraz, Iga on the women's side, handling business. And we know one thing, Karina, about these Grand Slams is that you ramp up. You're not going to play, you know, your A-level, A-level game in the early rounds, especially in Djokovic's case, who's done it you know, 22 times in the past. <laughs> I've really just been, you know, delighted to see that the process is there, that he's getting what he needs out of it. Same with Alcaraz and Iga, these top players doing enough, not expending any more energy than they need to. Yeah, and that's what you're going to see from top players like that. Um, you're going to see them continue to get better with every round. And the fact that they can do that just tells you how good they are and why yeah. they are kind of separate from the field. Like, we like to joke about how if you want to be Iga, you're going to have to do it before the final because the level that she brings yeah. out in any final, whether it's a Grand Slam or any other tournament, it's very hard to play against. And so I think that's just kind of remarkable and speaks a lot to the talent that they have. But I think, honestly, it's all good for them. Mm -hmm. Even the others that we kind of talked about, like Yannick Sinner, Daniel Medvedev, they're still in it. Francis Tiafo is looking good, too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's like as much as there have been upsets, there's still a couple of, like, really dangerous players left. Yeah, and we're going to get into all that. And Medvedev's a good one because he almost wanted to break Djokovic's record for how quick he can finish the match. Djokovic round one, <laughs> and Medvedev did it even quicker. Um, yeah, and, and we've talked about this before. Serena Williams was an example of someone that got better as the tournament went on. And I always go back to Djokovic in the Australian Open. I think it was four or five years ago when Rafa was coming in with momentum. Joker was kind of just lurking through the field, like sleepwalking in a way. The final came, and he raised his level and beat him in straight sets. So we know that there are levels to this it's very very fun to see the upsets and there's a bunch of different ways to start and I guess I could pose the question to you men's or women's side which upset to you was the most shocking that you didn't see coming I mean a lot to choose from I, <laughs> hmm? a lot to What's choose that? from I know I know as much as I as much as I kind of ragged on Tsitsipas last <laughs> week a little I gotta say like I was surprised that he went out so early um, I think that's the upset. Dominic Stricker, I mean, he played fantastic tennis, uh, absolutely deserved to win that match. But, man, Tsitsipas has, like, shown that, like, yeah, he hasn't really done that well at the U.S. Open. It's kind of just really hard with a player like that who started the year off really strong. Mm -hmm. I really expected, after he got through Raonic in straight sets, I really thought that he was going to be able to get through uh, several of the rounds. But, yeah, that, I think, was the upset that kind of surprised me the most. I'm glad you brought up Sitsipas. We have qu I have quite a bit to say on this match. First, the positive. Stricker played well. That fifth set, he served unbelievably well. You know, did not. But the fifth set isolated. He took that set from Sitsipas. He played great. 
there's a lot going on in Stefanos' life, in his camp, in his tennis even, too, because, and I say this as someone that is a fan of what he can bring to the court, the way he plays when his forehand's going, when he gets to the net, but he's really, you know, in his own head in a lot of ways, and I think we're starting to see that in terms of how he plays his tennis, the decision-making, some of the errors he's making. He's got some technical things he can work on. His backhand slice isn't what it needs to be, and I know he hits that one-hander, but with that beautiful stroke comes a lot of things you have to do to overcompensate. And Karina, I, th- I think he needs continuity in his tennis professional life. He's, I mean, in the press conference, kind of got rid of Philip Pousses for the second time, doesn't really know what to do with his camp. He's somebody that has gotten so close to a Grand Slam two finals, but he seems as far away as ever at this current moment. I think there's no denying that. Yeah, and I think I saw he was, like, responding to fans on, like, Reddit or something about his dad. I don't even remember what it was, but I, it was very, very odd for mm-hmm. sure. U.S. Open has been a house of horrors for him, too. If you look at the stats year by year, he's gotten bounced early. Some of those matchups, obviously, losing to Alcaraz before he became Alcaraz is one thing, but had the big match against Shorts the one year where he blew all those match points. This one, a year ago, goes out in the first round. So for whatever it is, and maybe it's the fatigue of how he ramps up or ramps down his tennis year, the U.S. Open hasn't been a place for him either. Yeah, no. Uh, And so, yeah, I don't know. I really did think that he was going to go a little bit further. But, yeah, it just seems like he just runs into a wall at this tournament every single year. Well, I got to bring up, and we can get this part out of the way too, um, tough look for, you know, Canadian tennis right now on the men's side because – Felix was the one that could argue women's too. Women's too, yeah. Well, Felix was the one that didn't surprise me, unfortunately, because if you look at the numbers, and last year he made the ATP finals, was one match basically one set away from going to the semifinals of the ATP Tour finals here in championships. But Karina, he ends up losing again in the first round. Mackie McDonald, quality player for sure, but sub 500 on the season. So that's why that match didn't surprise me, because unfortunately he's done a lot of losing this year. Yeah, and I think, I don't know what he needs to do. I'm not inside his camp or anything like that. I don't want to speculate, but maybe a break from tennis for a little bit might be a little bit beneficial. I mean, we even saw like Maria Sacre too, Mm. who's another upset, kind of just speak about what she's feeling right now and kind of what it feels like to lose a bunch of matches like these um, and not feel right about it. And sometimes like you need that break to just kind of reset and get back to the roots of what you're doing, get back to the roots of yourself because... Tennis is a very hard sport. It's very grueling. You're on tour for the entire year, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and every player handles that differently. So as much as like Felix has all the tools to be a really great tennis player, and we've seen flashes of that, but you know, with the knee injuries this year and just with his overall, you know, I don't know if it's confidence or what it is, but getting into his head during matches, I think, you know, maybe a little break might be good. And tennis players are ultra competitive and they're like sharks that smell blood in the water. So when you see a player struggling, you're like, oh, I want to play this player. I, I, mean, I get Felix for, and it's true because like you would have, players would have had the different mindset last year or two years ago playing Felix. Like, well, this is a tough, ultra skilled yeah. player. But when you see someone struggling, it's like, give me that player. I think I can, you know, kick him while they're down. And, and I understand why that is. Sakari was tough to watch. With her, it's, and I don't, and I get like the break, and there's there's debates of whether you should take enough time off, what is enough, what's too much. But this is eight year, eight straight majors, so essentially two years of not getting past the third round in a single major for a top ten player, which is heartbreaking to see. But it's been pretty unfortunately consistent for whatever reason in these majors, she is getting tripped up early time after time. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I really don't know what it is. I know. I know she was followed by the Netflix group for Breakpoint. I don't know if that adds another element to it. Like you just feel like there's a lot of attention and a lot of pressure because tennis players already place an incredible amount of pressure on themselves. And I think to have that kind of pressure from the outside too may be playing a factor into it because yeah. you you lose one tournament early and then the next one and then if it keeps happening you kind of start that's where she was talking about like that self-doubt kind of starts to creep in a little bit so i definitely feel for her and i don't know what the answer is but uh those are two players that it really sucks because like you know what their potential is and they really could be so so good um but before we like even move on like just stick on the canadian side like let's talk about layla fernandez as well too because God, I just want her to fix her ball toss on her serve. Like, I think that's like my biggest thing with her where I've like, I've watched her so much this year, both in person, on TV. And I just, when I see her bend that arm when she goes to toss the ball, it drives me crazy mm-hmm. because I know that's what's just like, that's the biggest hurdle for her. Like all the other parts of her game will follow through if she's serving well. And if you look at the matches she's lost this year, she has not served very well. Exactly right. And unfortunately too for her like when you're a smaller player you don't have as much margin for error for some of those mm-hmm. things like a ball toss and i would it, it's incredible the tennis on the level she has she's right there in a lot of these matches she's losing we're talking like tight third sets that just yeah it's the small differences as i heard david ferrer say about the top players like it really is a small difference as the margins are so thin just to get back to soccer though and i have a theory and it's could be totally wrong could be off i don't want to get aggregated like some quotes in the past but <laughs> I do have a theory that with a player from a country that maybe hasn't had tennis success in a lot of ways, there's a lot of added pressure. And she kind of talked about it, saying the comment, like, I feel like I've let you know, a lot of Greeks down. Kind of shows you how special Anish Jabor is, too, for how she's been able to handle the pressure. But I think there's something to the fact that when you're a pioneer, when you're in a new chartered territory, we know there are successful Americans and Aussies and now Canadians and I just think there is added pressure that might get to you that, hey, I'm I'm kind of carrying the flag and it's all on me as opposed to like these American men. We can kind of share it with each other. Yeah. And, you know, because it really is just Zachary and Tsitsipas. And if Tsitsipas ever like like, either, like like ever, like these are the two greatest Greek tennis players of all time. Legit. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's it's really tough. And yeah, like we spoke about the pressure that tennis players place on themselves. You have the pressure they place on themselves, mm-hmm. the pressure of representation their country the pressure from the outside from fans media etc so it's a lot and on top of that like you said before it's an individual sport so like i can't even imagine what that is like to just deal with yeah it's uh it's a tough one for sure and not to get too negative but you know the other men that lost that we should match on holger runa who had the had the thing with the with the court wasn't really a fan of court five let's talk about his complaint so there's a level of I think I wouldn't say immaturity. I'll say lack of maturity. It's part of growing up. I think all of us, myself included, when we were that age, might say some things in the moment. And again, I've never had a convo with him. You say something, you might regret it five seconds after. You might just speak from the hip, and that's good and bad. The thing for him more, I mean, I think that was kind of white noise, Karina. I think it was his level wasn't there. His health wasn't there. He hadn't won a match since Wimbledon. I think he would have been susceptible for an upset regardless of what court or who he played. Absolutely. And like you even saw like Carolina Pushka spoke about, you know, playing on the courts too. Like she didn't mind that she was playing on court 14 to start because she said the center court is going to come when you start winning. 
So yeah. to complain about that in the first round or whatever. When also <laughs> I think what bothered me about Rune posting that was one, he hadn't won a match this summer yet. Mm-hmm. So that was like the first time. Like you may be number four. However, there's a bit of an asterisk that comes with that. Um, just this summer specifically. And two, like historically, like the the WTA players have had more experience being placed on worse courts. Like you were on court five. Like you were you were so close to the court. Like it was like one of the yeah. more important courts. Like Verbakina, after she won Wimbledon, like she was put in the parking lot at the next. That was bad. Yeah. Like it was just like to me, it was like, well, there's this history of like players that are women that are like historically getting treated well, worse when yeah. it comes to like the courts and you're complaining about court number five. That's one thing. Yeah. Hey, it's look, there's a lot to like about his game. He's super young. Get the health right, get the tennis right, it'll come. And I think he's actually yeah. been able to you know, bounce back after Walls in his game pretty well. So we'll see with Holger. Casper Ruud was the other one. He lost last night to Zhang, and it was, you know, Zhang's been playing well. Beat Wolf is, you know, looked amazing in that match. He beat Taylor Fritzen on clay earlier this year. But for Casper Ruud, and I and I don't want to take away from his accomplishments like some might, but three-time major finalist got to number two in the world. The schedule this year hasn't been kind to him, and I think that kind of put him behind the eight ball in a tough sport, and, I just don't think he's found his footing and his rhythm. And as we know, tennis players can be creatures of habit. He never really hit the ground running in 2023. I think we're starting to see it now. Yeah, and I mean, the key word this whole time has been consistency, and he hasn't really been able to find that. He won a couple of small tournaments this year, but other than that, like on the bigger stages, we just haven't seen that kind of consistency from him. And I know we were all hoping for that rune rude matchup. But, which we didn't get because both of them just didn't make it there. Um, but I don't know. It's really tough again. Like at this point, at the end of the season, if things haven't been going well for you, you're either going to get it together and make a big run or you're just going to face the same mm-hmm. kind of results like you've been facing the entire year. So kind of the same with like Felix and Zachary, like just maybe take a hard break, hard reset. Yeah. Um, just kind of see what you can work on in the off season too. Uh, just what you need to develop maybe look at like look back at film of your matches over the over the course of the year like figure out where things are going wrong like where where in matches does stuff happen where okay now you've just lost this entire match well said well said indeed witness history at Roland Garros where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Uh, more with Karina Mustafa here on Tennis Channel Inside, and there's a lot of good in this tournament. Don't want to get too down on certain things. These American <laughs> men, they're still going strong. I know Fritz hasn't been tested quite yet, but he's in a section where there's no seeds until a quarterfinal showdown now with Djokovic. You have Tommy Paul coming back from two sets to love down. That was huge. He's in the rune section that has opened up Tiafo with Rude also out. They could be meeting deep into this tournament. So those three guys trying to end that 20-year Andy Roddick drought for the last time there was a U.S. Open champ. I think more than anything, Karina, the Americans' contingent, all three of them rising, is good to see. And these are three lethal players going deep into this tournament. 
Absolutely. And you're forgetting about John Isner too. Mm. Also yeah. I can't forget him. That can't was a really, forget. that was a really cool moment, by the way, his family getting, you know, coming out, honoring him. And he's got a match uh, as we record this today against Michael Moe, but yeah, it's good to see. He kind of passed the baton. It's kind of nice. Like I do remember like Pete Sampras getting honored at the U S open in 2003 and then Roddick winning it. It's kind of nice when one generation goes and the next just kind of keeps it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, on the other American front too, uh, Tommy Paul coming back from two sets down for the first time in his career. It's huge. I think the tennis that he's been playing um, has been really, really solid and definitely deserves it. And I don't know if you saw that like moment with that little, uh, that little boy. That yeah. His coach, like, his new coach. apparently. Damn near coaching me. Yeah. <laughs> I got to talk to Brad Stein again. Cause I, he might be worried. I got a new coach in the box now. <laughs> no, but the big thing with Tommy Paul too, I mean, the tennis has been there. He's up to 11 in the live rankings. And last year, he lost to Casper Ruud in a brutal match, brutal conditions. Fifth set got away from him. His body broke down. That's not the case this year. So if anything, we kind of knew the mental strength was there, Karina. But mm -hmm. his body is in the strength and conditioning. Props to his whole team. He seems like fitness is not going to be an option whatsoever going forward. It's not going to be a hindrance, rather. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be really huge. Um, especially at this tournament where you have a bug going around and then also players who may not be able to handle those like best of five uh, matches. So yeah, no, that's, that's going to be cool. I also just like, I kind of mentioned Francis Tiapo earlier, but I, like, as I said last week, like, I think he can make that run to the semis again. So I really, I'm really liking the way that he's been playing. Um, it's just really cool to see like American men being consistent yeah. again. Um, I think that's really cool. And to see it happen at the U.S. Open, too, is always fun. Is there anybody, I mean, outside of obviously Djokovic and, like, the big three and then, you know, the, the all-time greats of the game, but there's not really anybody that just feels more comfortable than Tiafo in this moment on the big stage. Like, he just loves being out there, doesn't feel the pressure. I, I got to give him props because it's not easy to do. Like, everyone's rooting for you. Everyone's there to see you. If you make a couple mistakes, the energy turns negative. But he's just so comfortable under the bright light, especially in New York. He loves it. And I think, you know, every player has a different kind of attitude. That's just how he is. That's just how he is as a player, as a person. And I think that's greatly helped a lot of the success that he's had. Um, the fact that he can feel relaxed in an environment like that, I think, is a very big asset to have as a player, especially when you're playing at home. Because like we mentioned earlier, like the pressure of your representing your country can get to you, but it can also fuel you. Um, and so you definitely see, see that with Francis Tiafo and He's just like it's just like must watch tennis like he's just you you you're so attracted to the sport through mm -hmm. him just the way that he plays like even like he's like i feel like in the same category as like gael monfils or like yeah. you know these players like carlos Alcaraz, like these players that just kind of draw you to the sport no matter like if you're a casual or like a hardcore fan yeah he has that crossover appeal for sure it's also why you see a lot of these celebrities and nba players that his matches and rappers now too shout out jimmy butler jimmy I love that, man. jimmy butler kevin garnett Pusha t there's just everybody's there to see tiafo and you know there's still name value i think this u.s open's been special because we have the mix of the young players coming up we've got the veterans stan vavrenka into the second round is one match away from a, a showdown with center which could be good but Stan, you know, at his age, 38 now, was the oldest man since Jimmy Connors 31 years ago to win a U.S. Open main draw match. I'm, I'm, it's remarkable, but in a, in a sense, it's kind of insane that Stan, of all these players, is the one that's going the distance longest. Like, it just, I, I don't think I would have predicted Stan being that guy, but credit to him getting in shape and still competing, having won this tournament before. 
It makes me so happy. I am such a Stan the Man fan. I'm a Stan of Stan, yeah. <laughs> whatever you stan, want to stan. call it. I've always loved him throughout his entire career. And I was like honestly worried that the age and the injuries were probably going to be the end of it. But to see him performing at this level this late into his career, it's been really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like that's also kind of been a common theme with this tournament. Like you have a blast from the past where you have like Andy Murray and Dimitrov are going to place each other today. Grigor, and that's also a matchup that, that's, yeah. Grigor coming back from, t- he's like the king of that. I mean, because the thing with Grigor and like, we put expectations on him, and unfortunately it hasn't happened in the majors, getting a championship and all that stuff. But there's very few that I'm like, okay, two sets down, he's he's in shape. Like, you know he's going to be there. So two sets down, he's almost like the king of that. Like, he'll come back. Mm-hmm. He'll be in there. Like, this match isn't over, and we saw it yet again. Yeah, and even on the women's side, too, where you have Wozniacki and Kvitova mm-hmm. facing off against each other, like yeah. 14 years after their first match facing each other. Um, and Wozniacki won that in her I, return. Yeah. From like oh. three and a half years, like not playing at the US Open. Like it's it's so cool to see that. Like definitely for like tennis fans and media and people who just like would love to see like that nostalgia. As much as as much as it's so great that we have like this new influx of young stars, like it's really cool to see some of these like older players still going at it. For sure. And and I want to get to the women in a second, but just to put a bow on the men's discussion here. You have Djokovic in a good position. No seeds until the quarterfinal with Fritz that we hope we see. You also have, you know, Alcaraz, maybe Sinner in the uh, quarterfinals, which would be a rematch of last year. And I think Medvedev working is another thing to look at because he's won here before. He's kind of going under the radar, which is crazy to say. But do you see that as kind of the storylines? Or is there anything else we should be on the lookout for? You have Djokovic on his half, and Alcaraz Sinner showdown with Medvedev a factor. How do you see this kind of playing out? You know, now that we've talked about Stan a little bit, you know, Varenka has beaten Sinner before. So if it gets to that, and if it gets to a point where, like, Varenka can last the best of five, mm. that could be an upset. Like, with all the upsets that have been, that have been coming, and I'm still confident in Sinner, but mm-hmm. that could be something that might mess up that part of the draw. Yeah, that I've always, like, last week I said, don't expect anything. Don't write anything down. There are upsets <laughs> that happen. A couple of years ago, everyone was like, Rafa and Djokovic, U.S. Open final. And, and Stan Vavrinka said, that's not happening. You know, Djokovic got a little injured in that match. But Stan's not afraid to play anybody on center court. If that backhand's yeah. going, be careful. Yeah. But, yeah, center's another one, too. If he gets through, he can beat Alcaraz. He's done it before. There's a lot of uncertainty here, and that's all we really want, right, is just unpredictability and just to appreciate these matches. And that's why Medvedev would like to go as under the radar as much as possible um, yeah. because that's the way to do it. And there's someone else that's kind of under the radar on the women's side that we'll talk about in a second. We'll get to, for sure. I want, and now going to the women's side, I, I wanted to mention players we didn't talk about. Coco Goff is one, and I think she's handling expectations very well considering that. And I don't want to take anything away from her, but, you know, Iga is a tough match in the quarterfinals having just beaten her, but the fact that Coco, everyone is deservedly so on the train, there's a lot of pressure with that too. So we saw the first match was a little choppy. There was a lot of stuff going on. Her best level wasn't there, yet she handles, she bounces back, she gets through, beats Andreva pretty comfortably. Coco's somebody that is so mature for her age, but the pressure will continue to ramp up until we get to maybe that showdown with Iga. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I think she's getting a lot better at handling it. I think she's having a little bit more fun, too, especially I think playing doubles is helping her 
um, that really funny moment with her and Tagula the other day. <laughs> she forgot the she score. That she forgot the score. She's like, we were doing so well. I thought yeah. we just won. Like that was so funny. I think that just also shows the amount of confidence she has. Mm-hmm. Like she was like, we were winning a lot of points. Like mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, and I think that's also translated over into singles. Like I mean, I have her getting to the final. Ooh. We'll see. Yeah, I've had her since before the tournament. I've no, I, I don't. I don't dislike one. the pick, and I, don't, I wouldn't even say necessarily disagree with it. I just think looking at it from a sports scene. It's made me a little scary. It's it's giving me pause because Iga's this great champion, right? Like, yeah. So that true. we're just and all like, oh, I, well, she beat her once, she'll just go. I, I'm like, okay, well, she could, but let's not discount Iga's so smart that she will make adjustments too. So that's the only thing. Yeah, and I also I was, I'm kind of joking about yeah. it, but I'm also kind of not. We're like, yeah. I think Ostapenko could even take out Oof. Iga before that. Um, we'll see, because like she has been a little bit rocky to start but she's still in it mm-hmm. um but yeah i just i don't it's really hard but i think the biggest thing with coco is that she's learning how to figure herself out yeah. match after match a little bit and i think right. that's really important i think an ability to adapt um against your opponents within the match and to get better with every match is going to be important her forehand is looking a lot more comfortable which is really cool so I think it's these little things that are kind of just all adding up together that is making me a little bit more confident. Well, Ostapenko, we'll see how she feels whenever she gets out of bed in the morning. That kind of dictates, <laughs> like, you never know what to expect with her. But, yeah, it can be very dangerous if her mind's on right, right and she's ready to play. So Coco is one that I that look at with Iga, of course. Jesse Pagula, we've talked about her doubles partner. And I do think you bring up a good point. The doubles side, and, and people criticize maybe you play too much tennis or – it's a lot, but maybe it's more about that mental, just taking the pressure off, just being so rigid on the singles. I think it's helped both of them, Jesse as well, who has to deal, Karina, with the pressure of, I've never really gotten past the quarterfinal. So we're just yeah. kind of tabling it until that round. Yeah, and I mean, even she even said it. It's so simple. Like, what does she need to do? Oh, she just needs to win a quarterfinal. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, but I think, and I'd honestly push back on the argument that Coco play, and Pegula playing both singles and doubles is playing too much tennis because, honestly, I think it's just good training. Like, as mm-hmm. good as they, because they're so good in doubles. Doubles game matches are usually just much quicker because that last, if they go to a tie break, it's just 10 points. Mm-hmm. I think you're playing, it's a lot faster because you have two people on your side of the court. So I think it's not, and not to say doubles isn't grueling, but doubles is extremely hard. Like, yeah. especially if you sit in person and watch a doubles match, you're kind of just <laughs> like, whoa. Like, yeah. it's so much quicker and it's so much easier to make mistakes. But I think it's honestly helped both of them with their singles. And I would push back on people that say that they are playing too much tennis because I also think that they know when they need to take a break and they kind of showed that this summer too. Um, pulling out when they need to so you know I think it's it's been extremely beneficial overall and Agula also like getting past Georgie in that first round in straight sets was also pretty impressive for her because that's not that was not an easy first round no another player dangerous uh, that can always be trouble early on if you draw her um all right so Karina who is that player that you think Mm -hmm. is under the radar on the women's side I think I might Uh, know who it is it's Belinda Bencic yeah that's Uh, a good one yeah, she's been under the radar. That's kind of what she's been doing this summer. She's quietly getting past her opponents pretty easily. And lo and behold, she finds herself deep in tournaments. So I think she's somebody that nobody's really talking about because everybody's talking about either Coco or Iga or Pagula or like all these other top seeds. But Benchic, she's been getting through the rounds quietly, and I think she's going to continue to do so until she runs into a bigger opponent. 
I've been on the Belinda train quite a bit. She's still super young because she came out as a teenager, won can't beat Serena in Canada, and all this stuff started to happen. If you look at the history of recent women's tennis and all these first slam winners, you say, wow, they kind of came out of nowhere. What, what are common things they have in mind? Belinda has been in the range for a while now. She's been in that 10 to 20 range. She's got some big wins. She's also had some disappointing early losses, but when she's in form, she can beat these top players. We saw her beat Naomi at this U.S. Open a couple years ago. So there's there's a lot to like about her game. I did think you might have said Kazakina, though, because I know you're on that train and, and oh, her yeah. ability. Oh, yeah, she's still in it. She's yeah. still in it. Tricky first-round uh, match with Alicia Parks, but she got through it. If she can get to Sabalenka, then we'll see what happens because Sabalenka – you know, is so dominant, but we'll give you those openings. There will be openings in a match where maybe you can just, you know, creak the door open a little bit and sneak in. Yeah, um, and I think Gasakina's matchup against Sophia Kennan today is also going to be an important one to get mm. through. Um, and hopefully she just continues to get better <laughs> with every round, too, because it'd be pretty nice to be right on something pretty wacky. <laughs> can we also say that I think reports of uh, Rabakina's demise were a little exaggerated because everybody came in thinking what's wrong. Everything's, you know, and, and I was guilty of it a little bit too, because the, she had, she had the shoulder issue that she talked about, but maybe it was the matching candle was just gruelingly late. And that, that kind of threw off her circadian rhythm because she looked pretty good against Kostuk and had the fortune of not having to play round two. So here we are with Rabakina into round three, pretty fresh. I would like to personally apologize yeah. to her yeah. as being one of those people that were kind of doubting um, just how good in form she was going to be. She looked awesome. She looked really good. I think, you know, having that period of rest before the U.S. Open and now she's resting because she got that walkover is going to be really mm. good for her. Um, so, yeah, so she's still very much in it. It might have been exaggerated, although, like, still fair with the way that yeah. things went down. Um, I still think it was fair, but... You know, it's really good to see how well she was hitting and how well she was playing. I have to say, just because it was one of the funnier things I've heard a player say last two what, week and a half ago at the WTA event in Cleveland before the U.S. Open, I had the chance to speak to some players, and one of them was Jasmine Paolini, the Italian, who's just hilarious. And she's like, when I was warming up with her and I kept thinking, oh, my God, she's so tall. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just... Just, I you mean, know that's funny. Yeah. Like I walked past yeah. Rubakina in Montreal, yeah. and my thought was like, she's tall, but she's not as big as I thought she was. I think it's the leg. I think it's the legs. And it's also I bring that up. Like the strides are like she's like a, a runner in a sense, where it's two steps. She's at the net. Doesn't look like. Yeah. Doesn't look maybe the, the most. I wouldn't say graceful. It's a little unconventional, but I do think that her strides and her ability to cover the court without really looking like she's going fast is mm -hmm. underrated. Everyone talks about the serve and the weapons, but yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But yeah, that's good thing for good job for bringing her up. Yeah, definitely, definitely get, needed to personally apologize for doubting what shape she was in. A real live contender. Uh, I do want to. It's become like a re reoccurring segment on this show now, and, and inadvertently, but the WTA moms update because there's more and more. There was like double digits in the tournament this year, and some of them are really showing out. Have to say, friend of the show, friend of the Tennis Channel, Taylor Townsend, incredible stuff. And yeah. I don't. It's it's wild, Karina. I've been following this sport for a long time, and I don't really know. I can't really explain how this, I guess, phenomenon I'll say is happening. Where you know players like Svitolina and you know, and now Taylor Townsend, they have children. They come back more focused with hyper intensity too, and look even better. I would argue on the court than they did before they took their break. It's remarkable stuff. Townsend is playing like a woman possessed, and her her form has just been incredible. 
Yeah, and I mean, Townsend has been... I was going to make a joke that like they need time away from their children, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> hey, well, maybe. Maybe. But uh, no, Townsend definitely, like, she got on my radar uh, the year that she beat Simona Halep in the first round of the U.S. Open. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, it must be super annoying to play against her with all the What a compliment, too. That's just such yeah. a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she makes things incredibly difficult. And it's obviously been very successful in doubles, too. And you can see where that comes from. And I think, you know, as much as it was an upset against Hadadmaya, Hadadmaya did go to three sets with Sloan Stevens in the previous round. So I think, and lost to Leila Fernandez this summer in, in Montreal. So I think Hadadmaya's, you know, hasn't been at the form that she previously was when she was kind of like uh, the breakout player of the year. But it's still a very much an impressive win. And it's really cool to see. Again, like we talked about the American consistency at this tournament too. Like Taylor Townsend is another mm-hmm. name um, that has been doing really well. It is really cool to see. Yeah, and very frustrating to play against. Her style gives her an advantage, her, her net game. It's just great. The double skill, perfect. She made the final with Leila at the French. She's got mm-hmm. opportunities there. And she just won with Alicia Parks. Um, she just won a title with Alicia Parks yeah. as well, too. I forget where it was, but yeah. She's exciting to watch. Uh, and, of course, Wozniacki, who you mentioned before, but all that time off at tennis, kids, everything, and just beats the number 11 player. There's something with Wozniacki. I'm I'm not going to say she's, you know, because her peak was number one. It's hard to be like, oh, you're at your peak again because you were the best player. But you know if she comes back, she's going to be in shape. And that's the thing you can never discredit her. You can never credit her enough, rather. Her fitness is top level, and you know she's going to get to every ball. She's going to come back in form. Her comeback to me is more of, She's going to be tough to play also because of the fact that her fitness is A+. plus. Absolutely. She's always been fit, um, really hard player to play against, and she's looked so good in her comeback, which also just gets me really excited for when Naomi Osaka eventually makes her return to tennis too because I know she's working towards that as well. Um, but, yeah, it's just to see the motivation that these moms are playing with. It's really cool to see because they're really good tennis players, and uh, the tennis world needs them more of them than to be playing really well. But yeah, she's always going to be tough. I'm really super impressed with her beating Kvitova. Mm-hmm. I think that was a huge win. Also for it to happen in straight sets um, was cool too. Uh, she's a danger at this tournament, very much so. Super dangerous indeed. Uh, indeed. Uh, Karina Mustafa, this has been great. Before we wrap this up, the women's side, anything else on the draw? I, I want to give a shout out as we're recording this live. Another under the radar girl on the tour american peyton stearns is up is up a break early so she could be someone to watch uh, as well but anybody else here that you think could make a run could make things interesting on the women's side yeah i mean if jabor is feeling well i think uh, still keep an eye on her she could make a run um too i think if she's feeling better i would assume she is like once you get over the worst day mm-hmm. of the flu or whatever she had um, the fact that she was able to get that was huge for her and might actually honestly help her for the rest of the tournament. So, yeah, I think she's someone that I'm still keeping an eye on. Oh, and I can't believe I forgot to say this, but Jennifer Brady. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought her in before I forgot. Like we're, we've been sitting here talking about Americans. Yeah, I know. That's her. that's a tough one on my part. Uh, but Jenny Brady coming back into the third round. Another big win. Beats Lynette. It's what was the Aki. So somebody is going to go on to round. Yes. Someone's going to round four. That's just going to be a, a great story. So all the work she put in to get back to this level. Very, very fun to see. Uh, also, you know, I got to also throw out, you know, you know what, never know what to expect from Madison Keys in a lot of ways. But if her A game is, is rolling, 
draw is not the most difficult, she's got a chance to to cause some real noise here too. So that's another one. Tournament of the Americans at the U.S. Open. Yeah, it might be. Well, this has been fun. The only other thing I was going to bring up was that Manorino shot yesterday. It's going to be hard to top between her. The shot of the tournament, for yeah. sure. Pretty good stuff there. Uh, Karina Mustafa, this has been a blast. Uh, before I let you go, what's going on in your world? I know the WNBA podcast is going on. You've got some media endeavors. Where else can we uh, catch you? Yeah, so my WNBA podcast, Coast to Coast, we just released episode two yesterday. Go check that out at Her Hoop Stats. And you can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call that website at KarinaMM. I post all my work there. Uh, should have a very big tennis story coming out soon mm. in the next week or so surrounding something in tennis. So, yeah. Oh, is that a teaser? That. Do we have? A, it is a teaser. Okay. All right. Won't press you for any more then. Uh, <laughs> follow her on Twitter. Check out her podcast or tennis takes. Karina Mustafa. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside in for the first and not last time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Mitch. Many, many thanks to Karina Mustafa. You can follow her on Twitter. You can also check out her WNBA podcast, as well as all of her articles and outstanding work. Karina Mustafa representing Canada very proudly, very informed on tennis, and we thank her for coming on the show. Now we go to an interview with American doubles player Austin Krychek, ready to start his U.S. Open today. Krychek was number one in the world for a few weeks this summer after winning Roland Garros with Ivan Dodich as his partner. Krychek talks about the goals at this U.S. Open, trying to get back to the number one ranking, what it was like to play in the Olympics, being selected for the U.S. Davis Cup team this fall, and much more with Austin Krychek now on Tennis Channel Inside It. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios gearing up for the U.S. Open. Joined now by a player in that tournament. He'll be starting his doubles campaign this week. He was the number one ranked player in the world after winning the French Open this past spring. He's somebody that has represented his country in the Olympics, will be representing the U.S. in the Davis Cup finals in November in Croatia, and uh, is trying to get that number one ranking back yet again from Texas A&M. We're joined now by Austin Krychek. Austin, thanks for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're gearing up for the Open. It's exciting times for everyone, especially here in the States. Uh, first off, how are you feeling going into this tournament? It's been a whirlwind of a year. Not that many downs, mostly ups, but gearing up for the home slam. How are, how are the vibes and how's everything going? Definitely, yeah. It's it's like you said, no doubt it's been a whirlwind this summer, to say the least. But um, yeah, we had a good week last week in Cincinnati. I think we're both, um, my partner Yvonne and I are both feeling pretty confident and uh, staying healthy is, um, you know, more than half the battle. So we both feel good physically and uh, looking forward to getting started here in New York. It's always fun to get to play a tournament in the U.S. and be on our home soil, which doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah. How many U.S. I mean, you've played a bunch of U.S. Opens. Are you used to the experience now? I know at, at first you see young players, young Americans always say this is, you know, crazy. This is the dream I've always had. And now I'm here. Are sure. you kind of used to the craziness? Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, I, I you know haven't even counted to be honest, but yeah, I started playing juniors here probably in 2005, six, something like that. Uh, so it's been quite a few years in a row in New York, and uh, yeah, I love it up here. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the energy is is a little bit different. It's special uh, being in the city. That you know, the first couple of days always takes a little bit to adjust. Uh, you know, sleeping with some of the noise and and all that, and being 
you know, with the traffic and stuff, yeah. we, we, I live in Texas, so it's a little bit different vibe over there, but, yeah. um, but I love it. It's, it's a great atmosphere and the fans make it really fun. So you going into this tournament, obviously with the year you've had and everything that you've done and playing with dotage and such a great partner, are you going into this feeling the pressure motivation to get the job done? And, you know, I know the title is the main goal, but to get to that number one ranking, are you feeling like it's within grasp? Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, luckily this summer I put myself in a position where, where it isn't within grasp. Um, you know, I think at this stage of our of our year, we we feel confident to say that any tournament we go to, we, we want to go there to try to win the tournament. Um, at the same time, I think if you focus on that, uh, it's not going to, it usually doesn't end well. So, you know, we try to focus on, on the process and the little things and try to prepare ourselves to play the best match um, each day and just bring our best level and give ourselves an opportunity to win. But yeah, for sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, you know, lie to you and say that we, we don't have high goals and, and yeah. it definitely would be awesome to do it here in New York. You know, he's won a couple majors has dotage and, and before mm-hmm. he, before you guys won this spring, what's something you've learned from a veteran? I know, you know, you're, you're in your, you know, prime of your career as well, but playing with a veteran, someone older, what have you learned from a, an accomplished doubles champion like him? Yeah, I've learned so much. I mean, Yvonne's uh, such a great guy. He's, he's obviously one of the best players ever. You know, to be playing with him now for almost two years, it's been been pretty cool to, to be able to learn from him on, on the big stage. I mean, what to expect. I mean, some of that stuff, you know, someone can tell you all they want, how it's going to feel playing on, on a center court at a Grand Slam or, or in the year-end finals. But until you kind of experience it yourself, it's one of those things you kind of have to go through. Um, but to lean on Yvonne in those big moments, he's obviously been there before many times. And um, so to kind of... Uh, you know, lean on that. And then also his professionalism um, on and off the court, mm-hmm. I think is rubbed off on our team in a great way. And and I think I've taken a lot of valuable lessons that hopefully will help me extend my career um, yeah. for, for many years to come. What's something to go a little inside baseball, inside tennis from, for, you know, from an expert's perspective, why do you think you guys gel so well tactically and, and how you play together? Sure. I mean, Every partnership is a little different. Um, I think we uh, really see eye to eye on our preparation, um, you know, not just for matches, but also for, for practices and then how we handle losses, I think, is a, is a similar fashion. I mean, both pretty professional. Um, and, and I think we both, when we lose, we both lean on the side of overworking as opposed to kind of um, letting things happen, I, I guess you'd say. But um, yeah, I mean, there's other things. I mean, tactically as well, I think we match pretty well. As Yvonne obviously has fantastic returns. Um, you know, I'm left-handed, so obviously lefty-righty is always mm-hmm. a, a benefit to have that combo. Um, but also, I serve well. We both play aggressive styles of games, and and um, you know, it kind of works on on every service. We play aggressive doubles and, and try to take it to the guys we're playing each day. And um, you know, so far we've clicked really well. And I think the good news is with tennis. I mean, yeah. as as Federer always says, there's always a hundred things you can do better. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're each week that we, that we play, um, you know, we're trying to improve little things and, and I think we've got so much room to grow as a team, uh, on and off the court. So it's, that's the, the good news. Yeah. For those that don't know last year, I mean, this year's French open was special because it was your first major. You got to number one, but also given what happened the year before, it was a pretty brutal, tough loss, a chance to win the title literally on a point away at times that didn't happen. How long did that loss stick with you in the moment? And you know, how long did it take you to get back to work and realize, okay, the journey's not over. There's still time. There's still more tournaments. Yeah, I mean, that one was was a very difficult loss. Um, there's no doubt about that. We had three match points in the finals, and uh, yeah, to get so close. I mean, tennis is a weird sport. I say all the time, you know, we were on such a high going into that match. It was the best result of my career so far. Um, and then two hours later, you're you're just you know so low. Obviously, yeah. such a difficult loss. 
so that was that was you know tough to get over i mean i think we both handled it pretty well um and we were back to work i mean in really no time uh, i think though emotionally you have to take a second to kind of let that sink in and digest and i think we we took the positives from it i mean i think at the time maybe it didn't feel like even you know until just recently it didn't feel like we needed that but i actually think at that time it, it was a good lesson for us to have and, and we kind of needed that loss in a, in a big tough moment like that and i think it prepped us moving into the fall we had a lot of great tournaments at the end of last year and we we're able to qualify for the year-end championships uh in turn last year and i think that you know it, it just you know you're gonna go through those tough moments in tennis and all sports really but i think that kind of tough moment put us in a better position for this year when we got back to the finals yeah. we were a little bit more comfortable and, and um you know it played to our benefit it certainly did. It was a remarkable year-end story uh, going in from the finals and then into the French Open. And, and I asked this question earlier this week to somebody else. I'm interested in your perspective. You played at Texas A&M, had a standout career there, accomplished a lot. Do you think that that experience kind of better equips you than most for dealing with rowdy environments? I mean, France, we know. They're, they're not yeah. the most kind there. But I do think that there's something to be said for the college tennis players that know what it's like to play a true road game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I still tell people all the time uh, that going to college and specifically going to Texas A&M was, was the best decision I've made of my career so far. Uh, those four years there were, were priceless with um, Coach Denton and Coach McKinley uh, preparing me for every situation that I was going to be in uh, in a tennis tournament. They had done it all. Uh, Coach had won. Coach Denton had won uh, two Grand Slams and, and been in the finals of two singles Grand Slams in Australia and been number two in the world. So everything that I wanted to do on a tennis court, they have done. And to get their perspective on the court, which at the time there wasn't on-court coaching in the ATP level, but yeah. you can only do that in college. So um, to kind of see from his lens of things uh, while we were playing, I think that was a huge benefit. And then, of course, we were in the Big 12 at that time, but to play at some of these tough environments like University of Texas and Baylor, um, these schools that that really make it tough on, on the opposing yeah. team was was fun. I mean, and, and to be honest, to this day, I actually kind of like that, um, you know, atmosphere where, yeah. where everyone's against you. It's just kind of you and your team. And it makes it difficult, but at the same time, it, it's pretty cool and rewarding when you come through on the winning side. Who gave it, or which school gave it to you the, mo the worst? Was it Texas? No, I would actually say Baylor was, oh, okay. was probably one of the worst. And we had a couple bad ones at, at LSU on the road. Oh, they okay. were, they had some very rowdy fans that maybe hit the tailgate a little too hard, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was always always fun. College yeah. tennis is one of my favorite four years for sure. Yeah, well, I guess it just means more in the SEC. Um, and then 2018, <laughs> you got inducted, or I shouldn't say that, 2021, you got inducted into the uh, Texas A&M Athletic Hall of Fame. What was that experience like? It has to be chilling to just, you know, know you made a mark on, on an institution like that, and you're one of the people honored at the football game and inducted into uh, immortality at College Station. Yeah. Yeah, it was really special. I mean, from day one, when I stepped foot on A&M's campus, I, I really felt like I was part of the Aggie family. And, and um, they say that once an Aggie, always an Aggie. And, I, and it's actually, I mean, it's crazy how true that is. I, I still feel super connected to that place. And we try to make it back as much as we can uh, for a football game or two every year. And my parents are still near there. So we try to visit you know them as much as possible as well. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was a little bit surreal. And, um, you know, it took a while for that to sink in. And I mean, there's just so many, yeah. so many great athletes that have been there. Um, but it's cool to play for something bigger than yourself. And it's not just there. It's not just about tennis. You know, I mean, the, the football and it's just such a big picture thing. All the sports. It was pretty cool to be included in that. Was that decision to go back and get your degree? Was that for you or was that a promise to mom and dad? Like, how was that decision made? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, I always was a goal of mine that I knew I, I really wanted to finish. I, I actually went to school a little bit early. So I started in the spring. So I played all four seasons, but I was technically there three and a half years. So I had 
a semester-ish worth of classes to finish and uh, was always looking for a way to do it. I, I did as many online classes as I could to knock it down. And then, um, you know, fortunately with, or unfortunately, fortunately, however you want to look at it, with COVID, they made all the classes online and um, I was able to, to jump on that quick and finish it. And, you know, you know, obviously my parents wanted me to finish my wife as well. Uh, yeah. She's a lot smarter than me. So I wanted to <laughs> at least yeah. at least get my degree for sure. Got to make everybody happy. It makes a ton of sense. Um, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, you turned pro and everyone's talked about your journey in the doubles game, but there was a lot of time where it was a singles career and a lot of futures and satellite tour events. Mm -hmm. What changed from your mindset? And I think 2018 was when you really started to focus on doubles and then the breakthrough and the rise up the rankings steadily happened. What changed in your mindset to make you want to make that decision of I'm going to be all in on the doubles train? Yeah, it was it was a tough time there a little bit in 2018. I, I dropped off a bit, um, was in the top 100 for a bit in singles and then had a couple couple strange injuries and, and some bad scheduling decisions and, and dropped kind of out of that range where I was in the Grand Slam uh, qualities. So I was going to have to go back through kind of the Challenger Futures grind a little bit. And um, at that time, I lost a little bit of, of love for the game. Um, it was just difficult traveling and, and the finances really weren't weren't um, weren't making sense um, at all. So I was, you know, teetering on, on not playing. And, and um, I've always I think my skill set's always been suited quite well for doubles um, I was, had success in doubles in college obviously and and um, thought you know I wanted to give it a chance and luckily had some good buddies that I played with that summer uh, tennis Sangreen is one of my best friends and um, we, we quartered the US Open that year and one of my other buddies Jivan um, Nadine Chesin who played at Washington as well yeah. in college played some tournaments and got my ranking back up into the top 50 range and then at that point decided to kind of focus all in on that and, and hopefully make a little bit of a mark on the sport. If I can maybe, you know, make a push to win some of these bigger events and, and get towards the top of the rankings. I thought that would be, um, you know, better for me. More with Austin Krychek here on tennis channel inside in, I mean, the, the path makes sense and everything that you've done to get to this point. Uh, and I want to ask you now as someone that's considered a veteran still going, obviously very strong, but have you seen changes in how the game has evolved, even specifically on the double side, how the game's played and, just changes over the course of your career? Yeah, it has. Um, I mean, obviously these younger guys, um, Carlos and, and all these guys coming up, I mean, they're just <laughs> physically, it's insane. I mean, to watch some of the, the matches they play, it's really, really impressive. And I think tennis is in more than, than good enough hands uh, for the next few decades. But I think it's changed a little bit. Doubles has changed some. I mean, there's some different tactics that have kind of ebbed and flowed since I started playing. And, um, you know, guys playing so much more aggressive now and closer mm -hmm. to the net and, uh, taking more risks and so forth that, um, you know, there's some different things. You guys, a lot of guys play more eye formation and, yeah. and, and different switching and stuff that makes it a little bit tougher as a returner. But, um, yeah, I could see that uh, throughout the years. It definitely has had a little bit of a shift. When you get to these events like the U.S. Open, obviously, um, because so much is made about court conditions and every week we're hearing the courts are playing fast, they're playing slow, and, you know, people are happy, people are upset. What's your <laughs> process like for, I guess, getting on the court early, analyzing it, or do you just not pay that as much mind as others? No, you definitely do. I mean, every week it's it's a strange sport where every week you're playing with different balls, different stringers, different courts, you know, obviously different weather. Uh, so it makes it extremely difficult to adjust to the conditions. And some of the events, you know, will be completely different just court to court, not just, you know, from Cincinnati yeah. to Toronto or, but, you know, US Open, the bigger courts sometimes will play a little bit different. I think US Open does a pretty good job at that usually, but sometimes the outside courts will play significantly faster than the center uh, court, which, you know, so it depends on what side of the draw you're in and all that, you know, who you end up playing on, on yeah. what uh, environment. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. You, you get there early. And that's why we're here now before we start on Wednesday or Thursday and try to get as much 
practice time in as we can and, and get used to it. And then hopefully by match day, we're ready to roll. Yeah, it's, it's just a fascinating, you know, insight thing. The balls especially, like players mm-hmm. bring it up a lot more than the normal players. But it's it's true. I mean, everyone has their preferences. I'm sure sometimes you surprise yourself by maybe doing a little better on areas you didn't think were your strong suit. That's the beauty of the sport. Yeah, that's true. There's been a couple of tournaments this year where we didn't like the balls at all, but we ended up winning the tournament. So yeah, <laughs> kind of was, well, maybe we do like those balls. <laughs> do uh, do you feel like, I mean, and I know in the population, there's not as many lefties, but tennis, there there is like a, obviously Nadal being the example and then other players, but does that give you certain advantages? Do you feel like, and maybe like a kinship with other lefties out there? Because I do feel like it's, it's one of the sports where you see a lot of the strong be left-handed. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I think it is a bit of an advantage. I mean, it's just mainly because maybe the, the right-handed players don't see as much um, lefty serves, but it goes the same for us. Is we don't practice with as many lefties either. So when we do play lefties, yep. you know, we're not the biggest fan of that either. And you know, sometimes I joke that they should have their own league, but um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it depends where you live. I mean, we have a ton of lefties actually in in Dallas that we train with. To be honest, so sometimes I <laughs> I get tired of seeing that uh, lefty slice serve as well. But um, it, it definitely is a little bit of an advantage. And in doubles, especially as a righty and a lefty, you have the advantage of serving with the wind the way you'd like and, and also never looking into the sun. So that, that definitely is a big advantage. That's true. I didn't really think about that. Like a lefty probably mm-hmm. loves it until they play another lefty. And it's like, I don't, this isn't as fun. 100%. <laughs> um, you know, I guess kind of going forward to just certain doubles matchups and things, I mean, a lot's made of singles players playing doubles do you take i don't want to say take that personally but does that look at do you look at it as a new challenge when a singles player comes into these major big events and tries to win doubles do you feel like you have to kind of defend you know the true doubles players um i mean i guess you could say a little bit i mean i don't i don't think it's really looked at like that i think the strategy is a bit different um you know singles obviously just the the tactics and stuff are a bit different you're running a little bit more um it's a little bit not as specific in practices so sometimes you know it's an advantage as, as they might return extremely well or serve really well in, um, in certain situations but a lot of the stuff that we do at the net you know that's really specific um yeah. you know if you play it mostly singles you don't necessarily practice that a whole lot so you try to expose that as much as you can and, and try to put them in difficult situations that they don't feel as comfortable yeah. but of course when you get some of these guys that are just fantastic tennis players you know it doesn't matter you know, if they play a lot of doubles or not, they're just good players. So it makes it, uh, you know, very difficult for the doubles guys. And, um, you know, week in, week out, we try to maximize on the little things to, to give ourselves an edge if we can. Well, it takes a true partnership and true continuity, I would argue. I mean, some of these singles players obviously are ultra talented and have good net mm-hmm. skills and can play. But it takes a lot of, you know, kinship knowing your partner from what I've seen you know, to make it to the year-end finals and to have a successful campaign, it's something that you can't necessarily just show up and have a good team. I think that takes the work. Definitely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a full year. I mean, doubles, especially doubles with the format the way it is. I mean, obviously not at the Grand Slams with full scoring, but at the, the ATP events, we play no ad mm-hmm. scoring in, in um, mm-hmm. Thursday tiebreakers. The margins are razor thin, so, you know, it's if a week here or there, it's not that difficult for, for a, a really good singles player or some teams to connect and beat the, some of the best teams in the world. But it's really more about over a course of a year being really consistent. And mm-hmm. and that's what makes doubles difficult is it is not just about one or three yeah. weeks. It's about, you know, playing 30 weeks well together, you know, and, and putting yourself mm-hmm. in a position to be at the top at the end of the year. Well, you said something there that sparked uh, an interest in me. There's a movement kind of of, you know, maybe getting rid of some ad scoring and certain things that make tennis exciting. 
I'm not necessarily against it either. Like if we got sure. rid of ad scoring at a point or even played some of the lights, do you think that could kind of spice things up? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they're constantly looking for ways to make it more efficient on TV probably. I mean, uh, to make it move a little bit faster and, and bring a little bit more exciting moments. Um, I don't, yeah, I'm not opposed to that really either. I mean, it does make it difficult, um, you know, especially in doubles when you're down love 30 in a game or something, it really makes it uh, a difficult position to get out of when there's no ad scoring. Um, and I'm, it would be the same in singles for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be worth, worth a shot. I mean, why not? I, I think playing lets they do in college already. So, I mean, I don't think that affects the game that much. You know, you play lets during the point. So why wouldn't you play it on the serve? <laughs> yeah. There's really not that many drip over let aces, um, maybe a little bit more on grass if yeah. the nets are a bit softer, but but I mean that that happens quite rarely, so I don't yeah. think it would affect the game that much. Yeah, I don't want to you know upset the establishment too much, but I'm, <laughs> I'm with you there. Um, when you look yeah. at your awesome, when you look at your tennis career, you know I know it's not over yet, but when you look in the rear view, where would you put you know representing your country in the Olympics? I, I would imagine it's pretty high on that list that you got to play, and we're just one match away from a medal, but still just the experience of putting on the Team USA shirt. Yeah, it was it was something uh, extraordinary. I mean, I you know. Tennis, to be honest, in tennis, in the tennis world, the Olympics isn't massive. Um, obviously, when you're a young kid, you always want to uh, win a Grand Slam, win Wimbledon, win the US Open, or these big events. And in Olympics, uh, I always thought it was amazing, uh, but I never really thought I would get to play. And then being able to play in Tokyo, it really took on a special meaning for sure, putting the USA stuff on and, and having a whole crew behind you. I mean, a, a huge team, obviously, there were no fans in Tokyo, but to have our whole team behind us, it uh, was one of the better experiences I've ever had. And, and then at the same time, just like I said, the Roland Garros last year, it was probably the, the hardest loss of my career. I would say that one even topped um, the finals of Roland Garros in, in 2022, uh, just because we, you know, lost in the semis and then you, you kind of try to convince yourself that's okay. You know, we've got another chance in a medal and then you lose that one again. It was, it was an absolutely brutal loss. And that one, that one sung for a while and took a little bit of a, a couple of weeks to shake off. <laughs> yeah, last year uh, in February, Jenny Brady was in the studio and did the show, and uh, we were going over some of the photos of Team USA tennis. And yeah, it was described by her as obnoxiously American attire. <laughs> well, the 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 polo stuff yeah. is a bit, you know, Fourth of July, and <laughs> yeah. there's only a few events you can kind of pull yeah. it off. the The Nike gear is is awesome, um, you know, and, and just the the experience of being there. I mean, with with all your teammates, Jenny's. Uh, she's one of my one of my good friends as well on the tour. She's she's awesome. It's so glad to see her back, yeah. healthy now and playing again. But um, yeah, it really was a special experience, and and mm -hmm. hopefully I, I get the chance to represent um, again uh, next year. We'll, yeah. we'll see. So odds are looking pretty good there. Uh, you will be in split <laughs> Croatia for the Davis Cup finals, uh, along with Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafoe, Rajiv Ram, and Mackie McDonald. You know, Coach mm -hmm. Bob Bryan was going to bring his best doubles players. That was a shot. Oh, yeah. But how does it feel to, I guess, in, in the same regard, you're representing your country, but to be, I guess, the word I would use is appreciated enough to be considered because this is something that America is really trying to win, get the championship cup back. How does it feel to be selected as part of a team of a very deep U.S. talent roster? Yeah, it's it's super special. I mean, I, I've been hitting partner with the Davis Cup three times and it was always one of my biggest goals of my, of my tennis was to win a Grand Slam, I mean, to be number one and to play Davis Cup. I mean, I obviously was on the team with when it was Andy Roddick and, and uh, you know, all those guys back in the day, James Blake and, and the Bryan brothers many times. But it was just so so cool to be a part of it as a practice partner to to actually get to play on the team now is, is pretty special. And, um, you know, anytime you get to put USA 
on the back of your shirt, it really gives you it gives you goosebumps and and it makes you raise your level a little bit. And I really feel like um you know I play my best in that mm-hmm. situation. And there's not that many situations in tennis uh, where you get to play on a team. Like you said, college tennis is one of the only places really where you get to play on a team. And after that, you're just kind of alone pretty much all the time. So to to have the Olympic experience as a team, and then now to be able to play Davis Cup a second time this year is is yeah. is a is a huge honor. And then as well, like you said, our our pool of players is just just crazy deep. The guys are are, are good guys too. We have great chemistry. I think um, yeah, the team atmosphere is going to be off the charts, and and I'm really excited to go over there and, and go to battle with everyone. Do you ever get the chance, or have you had the chance to uh, talk to one or both Bryans? You know, maybe pick their brain as the, you know the newest oh, yeah. top guy. I gotta imagine there's a lot yeah. that you would just be like a kid in a candy shop learning from those guys who've literally done it all. Absolutely. I mean, they're. I mean, what a, uh, two guys to look up to. They couldn't get much better than that. I've I've been pretty close to them uh, for a long time. Um, I rented from uh, Mike a long time oh. ago in Tampa at his house and have been practice partner several times. So I, I've always been kind of the guy that if they need anything, he slams, I was, I was trying to jump into practice with them and, and learn as much as I can. And then she gets to know Bob a little better now too. And I mean, what great leaders and, and what a, uh, you know, a well of knowledge they have that, that they're going to pass on to, um, to all the young American guys. And, and I can't think of a, a better leader for us uh, moving forward. A couple more things with Austin Krychek here on tennis channel inside in, as we wrap this up, I got to give a shout out to, you know, one of your sponsors, Lotto, the people that are helping set this interview up and, you know, they're celebrating their 50th year and I got a chance to look at your kid. It's kind of on the slicker side. I think you guys yeah, are going cool. for just less is more and just really, you know, Hey, they're expecting to see it in the winner's circle, not just with you on Shibor. And I know the young kid, That's Alex right. Mickelson's a, a Lotto athlete as well, but how's that partnership been coming up on close to a decade, right? Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, 2015. Um, they really have made it like a family uh, for me. I've been with them for so long. And I mean, the team is just is phenomenal. I mean, anything you need and, and um, their stuff's cool. They're, they're getting um, so much better. I know they're they're growing a lot in the U.S. as well. Going to be out in some some Dick Sporting Goods also coming up. And um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I love the, the black shirt um, coming up for U.S. Open. Uh, you know, we'll see how hot it is during the day. It won't be nearly as hot as it is in Dallas where I live, but um, I like to wear the, the darker outfit. And, um, yeah, I mean, they, they've been great to me for, for so long, and, and uh, I love wearing their stuff. Yeah, the talent pool is pretty deep. It's good to have such a reliable sponsor, someone you can count on. And, you know, you don't want to think about those stuff, right? You don't want to have any issues that aren't tennis because that's stressful. Exactly. Enough. And they keep that that side of things just – so at peace for me. Yeah. I mean, it's been like that since day one. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine uh, playing with uh, anything else. It's great. So as we kind of wrap this up, I got to ask with the, the players in front of you with uh, Skupski and Kuloff, do you look at them as like a little bit of a rivalry now? I know it's all, you know, cordial and you guys seem to get along, but is there a competitive yeah. rival now? Well, I mean, we're all competitors. <laughs> so of course, we want to, you know, beat each other as much as we can. Um you know, Neil went to, to LSU, so known him for quite a long time. And, and, I mean, tennis is such a small world. Everybody knows everybody. So, and we play them so many times, um, you know, you get to know the guys. And, you know, they're, they're great guys as well. They put in hard, a lot of hard work. They really dominated all of last year. And, um, you know, to be able to kind of jump back and forth with them at, at the number one spot a few times this year has been pretty cool. And, um, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm always I'm always chasing them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can yeah. say it's a little bit of ri- rivalry, but – you know, like I said, it, a lot of that stuff you, you can't focus on. It's good to have the big goal, but but if you focus on that too much, you, you get sidetracked and you start thinking about the wrong things instead of, um, you know, taking care of yourself and, and focusing on the process of playing your best tennis. 
Yeah, we got that big SEC West rivalry in in, in a pro oh, yeah. double. So it's uh, Thanksgiving Texas. game this year. So. Yeah, it's Texas. <laughs> we'll see who wins that. We'll see who's number one. I mean, it's a good SEC <laughs> rivalry in pro tennis. Uh, Austin, this has been a blast. You know, the last thing to follow up on, what do you think the keys to success are at the U.S. Open? And just to kind of expand on that, it doesn't seem like there's much left in your career to do other than kind of go on a nice run in New York. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the things that's top of my list. I mean, of course, we like to try to win as many Grand Slams as we can. I've only I've only done that once. So to be able to, to go deep here would be really special in the U.S. I mean, I've got quite a bit of family that comes out and hopefully my wife can, can be here as well. And so it's pretty cool to have that. I mean, I think one of the one of the bigger keys is to be able to balance all of that. Um, obviously, there's a lot of energy uh, with the crowd and, and being in the city. That can get a little bit draining sometimes if, if you're if you're not careful, um, you know, kind of taking some rest as well. And when you're here, it's a long tournament, a lot of matches that you have to play well back to back. And, and um, so, yeah, you just kind of have to take it match by match, opponent by opponent and, and try to play your best strategy on the day and, and just bring the best level you can and hopefully give yourself a chance to, to win the last point. That's all you can do. So it's the perfect way to look at it, uh, and just the the bonuses. Do you have a bottle of bourbon? I know you're a bourbon drinker. Lined up for a few wins. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. Okay. We've definitely got another bottle of uh, of Old Forester birthday waiting for us uh, at home. So <laughs> it's a lot of pressure because that's a lot riding yeah. on it. But uh, Austin, uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Austin Krychek, appreciate you coming on Tennis Channel Insight, and it was a pleasure. Best of luck in the U.S. Open and beyond as you chase the title and the number one ranking and uh, just continue doing what you love and that's play pro tennis but thanks for coming on the podcast yes sir appreciate you having me thank you that's going to do it for this episode of tennis channel inside in thanks to karina mustafa and thanks to austin krychek good luck to him in his u.s open which is underway today if you like the Tennis Channel Inside In podcast, you can go to tennis.com slash podcast to find our entire catalog of episodes. We're also available on all your podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, iHeart, Google. We're on your platforms. You can subscribe, leave a rating or review. Once you subscribe, all the episodes will automatically download to your listening device. It is that simple. We're back early next week, Monday to be specific. Labor Day, the show will not stop with John Wertheim. 60 Minutes anchor, the SI executive editor, the Tennis Channel analyst. John Wertheim returns to the show. We've got more U.S. Open to talk. And the beauty of it is we don't know what the storylines will be. We'll let the players figure that out and decide. And we will go from there. Thank you for listening to Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks to Karina Mustafa. Thanks to Austin Krychek. My name is Mitch Michaels. And we'll talk to you in a few days. Enjoy the tennis, everyone.